Welcome to Storyboard. I'm Lars. I'm Meg. We dive into overlooked films and TV and pitch stories that need to be made. Today we're discussing adaptations, movies based on books, as well as songs that we think would make interesting movies. And as always, we'll pitch an original film and leave you with some items that have been on our radar. Pull up a chair, baby. So there are some songs out there that have such like a rich story in them that I think we could develop them into an entire film. Yeah. So. And not just into the karaoke video that plays. (laughs) (laughs) The surprise karaoke (laughs) video that's not just the lyrics. There's a little story to tell. (laughs) They're riding a motorcycle to the beach. It's always, yeah, it's always high-waisted gap jeans on a motorcycle headed to the beach. And like a canopy bed with like wispy white curtains. Satin, the satin chemise. And like a rose that just like slow-mo falls on the pillow. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. So, um... (laughs) So like, the one that first came to my mind, and I realized that the ones I chose were, I'm going to see them as two songs that are about women taking charge of their sexual fulfillment, which I guess they're also consequently about their husbands being cuckolded. But anyway, I'm going to see it as it's about <laughs> uh, What kind of movie, what kind of spicy movies yeah. are you pitching? <laughs> exactly. So I don't necessarily have like a full pitch, but yeah. the song is Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town by Kenny Rogers. Uh, written in 1967, but I think he recorded it in 1969. So, um, there's a lot more domestic abuse, kitchen sink drama Uh-oh. than I remembered when I originally thought of this. Mm. Um, so it's kind of tragic, not very sex positive. But it's a paralyzed Vietnam vet. Uh, it's not adapting very well to his new life in a wheelchair, which leads to some very intense uh, conflict with his dish of a wife, uh, Ruby, who is getting gussied up. And go into town to look for, you know, someone to bone down with. You've painted up your lips and rolled and curled your tinted hair. Ruby, are you contemplating going out somewhere? The shadow on the wall tells me the sun is going down. And this song literally ends, like, so for a while you're kind of like, oh, I'm, I don't know whose side I'm on, you know, like, poor guy, you know. And then the song ends with him saying, if I could move, I'd get my gun and put her in the ground. And I'm like, okay. Yes, I'm not on old I Kenny's side. don't really side with the husband anymore. Yeah. But anyway, but I just feel like there's, I mean, it's a country song. Come on. Um, yeah. But there's, like, just so much story in this song that I'm like, I'm not saying I want to see this film. I'm just saying I can't believe it hasn't been made. I know. As a 70s, I can picture mm-hmm. a Sissy Spacek movie, oh. perhaps, where, you yep. know, it's like, I just feel like she's a good woman yep. with a shithead husband. Yeah, exactly. Kind of. Anyway, so that was my uh, my first one. Uh, do you have one you want to get into? Yeah. Um, so the songs I picked are by bands who've produced quite a few songs that could either be standalone movies or short stories or maybe whole albums. Like mm. that would not concept albums. No, that would work <laughs> as movies. So first, I have uh, Sex and Dying in High Society by X from their 1980 album Los Angeles. X was my 
favorite band in high school and honestly <laughs> holds up. Let me just say, I stand by it, especially uh, Los Angeles, which this song is from and Wild Gift. And listening to Sex and Dying in High Society, you can basically just imagine the uh, the portrait they're painting of this bored, rich girl. It's in Hollywood. Maybe she dabbles in acting, but daddy's a producer and mm-hmm. she's just kind of... Amusing herself with these various little playboys. She's married some rich fail son that's just like her dad. And she's just full of kind of this self-hatred and dread. So she engages in the full range of Mm -hmm. self-destructive and, yes, masochistic behaviors. directed by some French woman director, (laughs) even though it's set. I mean, I can just picture it's, you know, a 20-something woman just totally... It could be set in, you know, late 70s, that kind of hangover Mm -hmm. of golden age LA. Mm -hmm. Um, But it could also, I think, you could update it now for some kind of influencer type. Yeah, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Ingrid Goes West kind of. Totally. All right, well, my other one is, again, with the... um, Female sexuality vibe. Um, it's a little-known song called Scream in the Ears by Bill Fay. It was released in 1970. I actually used it in a um, fashion show at one oh. point in my life. Um, so it's a sardonically moody song about a husband and wife who go to a swingers party, and the wife's boning down, and the husband is, like, not feeling it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's pretty much all it is. And you know it's good when the first line is, Offer your sherry to somebody else. I've got nothing to say. <laughs> it's just oh, like, I don't is... know why I'm just like, sherry is mentioned within like three words. I love it. Ding, ding, ding. ding, ding, ding. It goes right up. <laughs> Offer your sherry to somebody else. I've got nothing to say. Shut my wife's in the bedroom with everyone else. But I don't want to play. Will you stop asking me who I am? Go and find someone else To tell your jokes to What a great party this is So it's honestly just people trying to talk to him at a party. Go to like a key party kind of. And I'm making it sound like it's like the Pina Colada song, but it's not. It's like really cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, these jokers. AM gold kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's actually really like a sexy, rambling kind of, I don't know if slow jam is the word. It's somewhere in between. But um, I really love it. And I could just, again, see, we keep it like 70s, LA. Yeah. Just like a husband and wife and maybe like the whole movie. Sorry, I am getting into pitch mode. And yeah. the whole movie is like the night of the party. And Ooh, he's just like yeah. going into different rooms. There's diff- It's like a bacchanal. Mm-hmm. He's not feeling it. And he's getting drunk. And his wife is <laughs> fucking. Okay, he's just getting drunker and drunker sitting there yeah. in that chair. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. And maybe he's having little conversations. But um, anyway, I would totally watch that. I would too. <laughs> 
Well, I think we're keeping it fully. Well, I guess mine, my previous one was 1980, but this is uh, 76, I think. Didn't actually look up the year, but you'll know as soon as I say the band name, Thin Lizzy. <laughs> you know it was good. Their hits was 75 or later. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's hard to pick, actually. A lot of film Linet's lyrics are could be entire movies. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to pick between Jailbreak cowboy song and boys are back in town i think they could almost be like different acts of the (laughs) same movie but i'll go ahead and pick boys are back in town because i do think it creates this whole mood of like the summer is coming the days are getting warmer and these wild boys that you know in town are coming (laughs) back to hang out at the local watering hole and like Mm -hmm. stir shit up yeah and i don't know if they broke out of jail or bailed (laughs) out served their time maybe they just came back after some rambling elsewhere guess who just got I do like that when you read the lyrics, it's told from the perspective of a guy they know talking to a woman they know, telling her the news and saying to get the gang back together. Yeah. So I feels like it kind of sets up a fun, maybe like crime kind of movie or something. Yeah. Again, 70s, but I do mm-hmm. feel like at least, even though it's called Boys Are Back in Town, I think it opens up space for a cool female character. Oh, totally. Yeah. I can see that as a um, link letter kind of. Yeah, Everybody totally. wants some sort of summertime like, vibe. Yeah, they're all just hanging out, drinking yeah. brews. <laughs> these boys, yeah. these ne'er-do-wells. Exactly. I know, and I'm realizing I just really should all over Easy Rider in our last episode, and I was like, but this, <laughs> but this, this is, is good. This fine. Yeah. <laughs> came up with this genius idea I thought (laughs) (laughs) that we should talk about film adaptations of novels I was very specific Mm -hmm. um rather than plays um, because I think that's a whole like stage to screen is another really interesting Mm -hmm. thing and I was like there's so many choices this will be so easy and then let me tell you I ran myself through a whole gauntlet of just snooze after snooze (laughs) in the snooze bar (laughs) where it's you know prestigious directors wanting to do something really serious so they're like i will take this very beloved novel and i'll make this straight adaptation and let me tell you that is a recipe for falling asleep right on the old couch uh i don't know if you had any fails but i did have one pretty bad fail which was four nights of a dreamer okay it's a 1971 brisson Mm -hmm. movie i don't think i've seen that one but yeah yeah so it's an adaptation of white nights by dostoevsky and it just does not work. It, I mean, I know he's kind of this, he's known for his minimalism, but he strips it so much that you really can't follow the plot or care if you haven't read White Knights. And even mm-hmm. having read it, it sort of drains all the meaning and just 
makes it almost pointless. Oh, buddy. (laughs) I know. It's a real tough one. I fully fell asleep at the end and was like, oh, wait. (laughs) Did you have any fails? Well, I... I ended up after, again, like, it, it took me a while to find my footing, again, because it's almost so broad. You're, I can do anything. I want to do yeah. some deep cuts. Yeah. So I went my usual route of so deep a cuts that it's stuff that's really hard to find. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I kind of went more in the direction of finding authors. I mean, inadvertently, this is like, you're finding your patterns after the right. fact. Yeah, I was totally. like, oh, I think I went for authors that I want to explore that I haven't read, of, I haven't really heard of yeah. before, and that I want to explore so I kind of started like looking towards like um, Japanese movies, and then I and then I kind of veered into like erotica, mm-hmm. and so I've got a little a little bit of everything a in bit there, of everything. a little, a little, a little, a little surprises. And uh, admittedly, I did veer. Uh, I realized, sorry, into a short story okay. on one of them, but it is a short, so it kind yeah, of, it's not it a play, works. right? Yeah, yeah exactly. that was the differentiation. Yeah, um, I guess I should say that I. <laughs> it's probably unsurprising to. Uh, you that yeah. I I limited myself to <laughs> Russian uh, novel adaptation. I know Kel <laughs> Uh So my first one is <laughs> there's so many ways to find this. The Shooting Party, also known as a Hunting Accident. I prefer the Russian title, which is uh, My Laskovi Nezhny Zvir, which is My Affectionate and Tender Beast. I love Ooh, that title. That's a great. That's a I pitch title right there. I know, and I don't know why. So basically, it's based on Chekhov's uh, longest narrative work and his only novel, which is called The Shooting Party. But I don't know why the movie, the 78 movie that I'm talking about, is sometimes called A Hunting Accident. I mean, mm. I know why in the plot, yeah. but I don't yeah, know yeah. why they would pick that over yeah. My Affectionate and Tender Beast. I just oh, yeah, that. that's gold. Yeah. So it was directed by Emil Latineau. I'm just going to give it to you straight. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot me straight. You're not. I mean, it's, that's why it's a hunting accident. Exactly. You're, clearly, you're not shooting I'm straight. A, I'm a straight shooter <laughs> about a hunting accident. Yeah. How punny and e-news yep. can I get? Uh, you know, you're not watching this for the plot. Mm-hmm. If you're any of the following in a Russian novel, you better look out. <laughs> An animal, a poor person with a noble spirit, or pretty much a beautiful woman of any kind, you're going to get got. Like, okay, okay, basically, okay. All right. you're, you're going to get whacked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this deals, this movie deals with uh, the latter, a beautiful woman. So basically it's framed as a manuscript that's dropped off at a publisher's by a somewhat respectable looking man. And the manuscript tells the story of this beautiful young forester's daughter, Olga, who's caught between these three old ass noblemen who all want her bod. (laughs) Mm. And she gets kind of caught in this love quadrangle, I guess, (laughs) between this gloomy widower and this sort of convivial read alcoholic (laughs) convivial fellow (laughs) and then this somewhat younger and therefore apparently sexy to her court investigator but he just looks like old af i mean i think he's Uh in his 40s in the novel Uh Um, and she's like 18 and yeah (laughs) you're really not watching for any of this you're watching for uh galina belyaeva who Fairly or unfairly, she's sometimes known as the Russian Audrey Hepburn. I mean, she has that beautiful, doe-eyed, kind of innocent look. She was literally 18 when she was in this film. Mm -hmm. So she just looks like this little baby. Yeah. Um, And her beauty and her style of acting really give the film this very dreamlike, kind of modern fairy tale tone. Mm -hmm. And 
Life imitates art uh, in this because Belyayeva married the director Lazanu uh, hmm. a couple years later, and she was like 20 and he was in his 40s. So they're basically replicating Tale this. Tale is all this time, honestly. It's sure enough. I mean, I will say that she always spoke really well of him, even though it's creepy to me. It wasn't like he yeah. was a bad dude, as far as yeah, I can tell. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's the best you can hope for, really. So it looks so gorgeous. It's like how you say it gives good still. It, Ooh, that's what I say. Oh, it's just scene <laughs> after scene of gorgeous tableaus. It has this sort of fairy tale at the end of the Russian Empire vibe because it's set at the turn of the 20th century. So it's set at this old estate in the forest of central Russia. And there's this sense of this whole class of idle rich overstaying their welcome at the end of a party and exploiting the local sort of peasant people. Mm. Um, and apparently, and this is a little factoid for you, uh, the wedding waltz that plays in the film became super popular worldwide, and it's been used in various Olympics, and it was named <laughs> one of the, it was the fourth musical masterpiece of the 20th century named by UNESCO. So okay. so for watching this, uh, this is just my hot tip. Uh, Moss Film has dozens of its most popular films available in HD on YouTube, including this one. Oh. And it is a situation where it does help to recognize or understand some Russian because all the titles are in Russian. Um, yeah. So you do need to find them in oh, Russian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find them. I mean, I would recommend just finding them on like IMDb or Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are English subtitles. It seems like there wouldn't be. They don't totally match up with the scenes. So I think it could be confusing if you're just relying on them. Yeah. But it's totally worth it. Yeah. And it's... <laughs> I mean, it's better than nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Well, it's better than my next one. Okay. Your, oh, is that a segue? <laughs> it's better than mine, which again, we get a situation where I'm so desperate to see something yeah. that I'm like, subtitles be damned. Yeah. I'm going to just watch this. <laughs> so it's, and with a name like this, Tokyo Decadence, mm. 1992 by Ryu Murakami. Um, so Murakami is a writer-director who... Um, wrote the novel that became the 1999 horror movie Audition. So what the version I watched was actually overdubbed in Italian, so we had okay. another layer. Ooh. So I'm just like, I mean, even linguistically, I mean, like, it wasn't even like the vibe of it. I was like, I got a Jello vibe kind of in here, maybe? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but luckily there wasn't a ton of dialogue. Yeah. And fair warning, this is a Japanese pink film, a.k.a. erotic films, which can be a little rapey and Ooh. exploitative. Okay. So That's just no, feel yeah. that out for yourself. Uh, but I was interested because I haven't really seen that many pink films. It's also called Topaz. It's another one of those films where there's just like a million titles. Also called Topaz. It's about a sex worker named I who works for an escort service that apparently only services rich pervs. Uh, again, <laughs> ah. fair warning. Uh, the film, I don't know. I have um, that line between being sex positive and not that is shaming and not wanting a sex worker or anybody to feel uncomfortable in a uh, BDSM situation. It's a little hard to read sometimes because yeah. you're like, okay, is this like, was this agreed upon? And again, when you don't know what language, you know, don't know the language, uh, you don't know what they're saying. It's like, they might be talking all about this and I just don't know. Yeah, they've got their words. They've they figured words it out. And- they're all talking about the contracts and yeah. like, well, here's what we're doing. But I'm not, I'm not understanding right. that. So uh, the highlights are gorgeous photography, 
um, amazing bondage gear and wigs. Um, yes, a, a scene where another sex worker lip syncs a song using a dildo as a microphone. <laughs> like she's just like having a fun like girls' Ooh, night, yeah. you know. Um, and a cameo uh, by the famous artist Yayoi Kusama as a psychic. So that was fun. I was like, wait a minute, she looks familiar. And I looked it up oh. and I was like, oh hey, I know yeah. her. So yeah, uh, again, uh, this is a real question mark. I don't, I can't say that it's not dicey in certain places, but it's just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and I think it's. I want to seek it out again with the uh, the subtitles at yeah. some point if it, you know, if that becomes available. So I think it's worth the watch. I mean, it kind of borders into hardcore. I don't know what constitutes hardcore, honestly. Yeah. But um, if you're looking for some erotica, uh, oh, maybe check be, it out. Could be an option depending with some on fun your taste. outfit. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looks, yeah. lots of wigs and bondage gear. Check yeah. it out. <laughs> if you're looking for summer 2019, yeah, it looks and feels. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. you go. Well, if you're uh, looking for something that seems like it might turn into a porno, <laughs> my next <laughs> always, but doesn't. <laughs> oh, <okay>. my, <laughs> my next movie might fit the bill. I watched Ivan's XTC from 2000. It's directed by Bernard Rose. Who directed Candyman, which I will Ooh, always ride for. Love it. Uh, so Ivan's XTC is loosely based, pretty damn loosely, on The Death of Ivan Ilyich by Tolstoy. Okay, so <laughs> this movie is kind of one where it's more admirable in concept than it is enjoyable to watch. Got one of those in the list. Okay, <laughs> all right. So story-wise, it updates the novel... Um, to follow the sleazy social climbing cokehead Hollywood agent in the days after he receives a late stage cancer diagnosis and realizes how empty his life has been up until mm. that point. Uh, so the main character, the one ostensibly based on Ivan Ilyich, is also based pretty much on this former CAA agent, Jay Maloney, who represented all these big names, like he represented Leo at one point, mm. before he basically flamed out due to his coke addiction. Mm. And he actually died by suicide while Ivan's XCC was in post-production, so it's oh. a pretty grim parallel, yeah. frankly. Yeah. But the agent character, Ivan, is played by Danny Houston, son of John oh, and yeah. half-brother of Angelica. I love him. Yeah, he is far and away the best actor in this film. And I do think... That if he were matched in ability by his castmates, it would be an easier watch. Mm. Oh, uh, Peter Weller, also known as RoboCop, is okay, in the movie like, as this like sleazy blockbuster star. All right, he's doing his thing. I don't know I what mean, he what it is he's doing. Yeah, he's committed. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's all well and good, but one thing to know, and why I mentioned the weird porn look thing, <laughs> is that Rose made this after he had had a very Hollywood experience of being shut out of his own editing room when he was mm. making an adaptation of Anna Karenina, actually. Oh. So he was very feeling very burned by the biz, hence the setting, but then he also made this movie outside of the studio system with the new technology in 2000 of digital video. So Ooh. it's like really minimal production methods. It's fully like handheld digital video. So hmm. some of the shots, you're like, <laughs> what am I watching? Like the first, if you can get through the first 10 minutes, you adjust, but you're like, I don't know what I'm looking at. Oh, he also had a lot of agents and people in the industry like act in the film, but they weren't professional actors. So that's part of why it's like Danny Houston, I think he actually won the Independent Spirit Award oh. for Best Male Performance. He's so good. But then everyone else, you're like, what is he doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at the time, though, I think Rose was this pioneer of digital video. It just, 
you just have to appreciate it for what it is. Mm-hmm. It's just a world away from what people can do now with these kind of minimalist production methods. Mm-hmm. Ivan's XTC walked so that Tangerine and High Flying Bird could run. Okay. That's a beautiful. That's yeah, a cool quote for this episode. <laughs> there you go. Just <laughs> a full title. <laughs> so my second one is, okay, this is a great title. A girl, she is 100%. And I'm like, I don't know what it is about the title. Like, a girl, comma, she is 100%. And like a percent, like, sign. I don't know. That really matters to me for some reason. 1983. It's a short by Naoto Yamakawa, who hasn't directed anything else that rang a bell for me. And most of the credits on IMDb don't really have a synopsis. So Mm. I'm intrigued, but I couldn't really find much info about him. And I had to find it through clandestine means. So I don't know. Just Google it. So it's an 11-minute short based on a Haruki Murakami story on seeing the 100% perfect girl one beautiful April morning. <laughs> it's a hell of a title. Yeah, I love it. Sure enough. Talk about Fiona Apple titles. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, of course, he's best known for writing the 2002 um, novel Kafka on the Shore. But he also wrote the source material, I didn't know this, for Norwegian Wood and mm-hmm. Last Year's Burning. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Um, it's a live action short with sort of a lot of like choppy, collagey paper doll effects. Interesting. Um, it's black and white with splashes of color in it. Like all of this would normally make me be like, no thanks, <laughs> bug the shit out of me. But here I think it works because it kind of has the effect of like, uh, like an 80s, 90s, like concert flyer, Xerox on colored paper yeah. at moment. So I'm kind of, I'm feeling it. Um, yeah. The basic, yeah. So the basic premise is the plot of Eternal Sunshine. These two people see each other on the street and the guy just has this gut reaction that she's the one or as he says, she's, she's 100%. I don't know why. I just kind of like that. Is that weird? I don't know. Like, anyway. Am I misogynist? I don't know. Like, she's she's a 10. I don't know. fresh. But I kind of like it. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, and then you get the reveal that they had known each other before so like again elements of eternal sunshine i didn't know that there was actually an english remake an english language Mm. remake of the story in uh 2015 uh also a short but i would be curious to see if it were it could be extended into a film a full-length film i don't know i mean maybe there's not a backstory but i feel like it's interesting enough uh, anyway, it's really it's really adorable, and um, I suggest try, try to Google it. Just good luck. Good yeah, just luck. go for good luck. <laughs> so speaking of movies that could be hard to find, mm-hmm. maybe not, mm-hmm. or if you know where to look, they're not. <laughs> My next film is The Twelve Chairs uh, from 1970, directed by Mel Brooks. I came across it while I was looking for a 1971 Soviet adaptation of the novel of the same name. And I don't want to say it's a lost Mel Brooks movie. It's not lost. It's more of like a hidden gem. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you think about it, in 1970, Mel Brooks was ramping up for this decade of like career hits. He had just (laughs) had producers in 68 and he had won Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. Really? Yeah. I knew that. Yeah. Sorry. And then he went on, to, you know, if, I mean, those of us with uh, parents of a certain age probably grew up with his movies, or I did. It's like yeah, young and Frankenstein his TV and work and yeah, stuff. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then um, went on to make Solar Babies, I yeah. think. <laughs> anyway. Well, well, Robin and Men in Tights, I will stand by, I oh think. Oh my god, I loved that when I was a kid. So I watched it like me 55 oh times. Oh my god. I loved it so loved it. I thought much. it was like, it's something about like if I you're a certain know. age, like we just thought it was so hilarious. I don't know why. I loved it so oh, I thought much. it was so cool. Anyway, sorry, it's a whole other, <laughs> yeah, whole other okay, thing. Yeah. Anyway. Memory lane. Um, so before that, just rewind the clock <laughs> yeah. 20 years. 
It's really interesting to me that he decided to follow up that early success with an adaptation of this 1928 satirical Soviet <laughs> novel by the, I mean, much beloved Odessa-based comedy writing duo Ilf and Petrov. Mm. It's just, it's really popular in Russia today, but it's just interesting that uh, a Jewish-American filmmaker in the 20th century would be like, yep, yep. this yep. is my producers, now this. Yeah. Uh, so the story follows the attempts of this fallen aristocrat, an Orthodox priest, and Ilfin Petrov's great character creation, Ostap Bender, who's a clever con man, uh, in pursuit of some hidden jewelry in the 1920s era of the Soviet Union, so right after mm. the Russian Revolution. So Ostap Bender, he is this immensely popular character. Uh, he's endured into contemporary Russian culture. So basically this character is like the classic confidence man. He is handsome and funny and clever, and he always is operating kind of semi-legally to find a way to part fools from their money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in this adaptation, he's actually played by Frank Langella, who at the time uh-huh. was an up-and-coming actor. And he had just been in a stage production with Brooks's wife, Anne Bancroft. Okay. And she introduced them. So at the time, he thought he was just helping Brooks out with casting decisions. But then Brooks was like, nope, you're perfect as my confidence man. And it was actually only his second film role. So Hmm. it's kind of like a breakout performance for him. And the Orthodox priest is played by Dom DeLuise. Okay, also recommended by Bancroft. And I guess she introduced them. And he and Mel Brooks hit it off immediately. And this is like the start of like many collaborations in his lifelong Sure. Uh, it's just a very, it's a very classically Brooks take on the classic Buddy Road comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I really personally enjoyed is that the movie really resists condemning the Marxist values that are present in the novel naturally, and actually sets up the main characters as the, these greedy sort of chaotic grifters mm-hmm. who aren't going to succeed in their schemes, but learn a little bit about friendship along the way. Oh, <laughs> nice. Uh, there are little Easter eggs that kind of satirize aspects of Soviet society, but it's generally, the vibe is more that the main characters are preying on and causing havoc for all these good citizens they encounter. I feel like it's, I really enjoyed it. It's very warm and funny, but I just think it was not the right time for that movie in the U.S. Like 1970 oh. U.S. is not ready for this mm. kind of like pretty sympathetic treatment of a socialist, like a, a satirical socialist novel, but still mm. like a pretty positive one. And it's also not quite as over the top farce as producers or some of his later works. Mm-hmm. So it was, I think, probably his biggest commercial flop and it really hasn't received that much critical attention at Hmm. all that i could find but he actually cites it as one of his proudest and most personal films like he's it's like one of his Hmm. proudest accomplishments oh and apparently there have been a bunch of other adaptations of the 12 chairs both within the soviet union and outside of it including one in 1969 called the 13 chairs and listen (laughs) to this cast sharon tate Vittorio De Sica, who's like the director. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he did some acting. Orson Welles and uh-huh. Terry Thomas. All right. I just sure. seems like truly bizarre casting to me. Yeah. So now I guess I have to track down. It's like, I think there are like 18 adaptations. It's like the 18, 12 chairs. That's yeah. my new thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. 
Well, my last pick, I finished Neri two hours ago. <laughs> um, sorry, again, it was kind of hard because there was... Uh, anyways, so it's Cosmos from 2010. It's the final film by Polish director Andrzej Zulowski, who died mm. in 2016. I didn't really remember that, but anyway... He also made On the Silver Globe, which we've mentioned. We'd like to, to watch track that down. I know. If has get, the on the, hook up. get on that Silk Road. <laughs> yeah. um, he also made Possession, which I'm sure I will uh, talk about at some point because oh. that movie is a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. Yes. So, first of all, let me be clear. As a rule, I do not like movies where people are going mad and gi- and giving uh, erratic soliloquies or screaming at people, <laughs> um, usually about philosophical ideas. And even though Cosmos has a lot of that, um, it also has a lot of interesting takeaways. So, the synopsis. Uh, two men are staying at a guest house with a husband, wife, their grown daughter, her boyfriend, fiancé, and their maid. Um, mysterious things keep happening on the grounds of the house, and the two guests try to solve the mystery. Um, but you soon figure out that they're seeing patterns and clues where there's really only happenstance and randomness. So um, there's also a lot of playing with language, puns, portmanteaus, and like miscommunications. People are mishearing each other and kind of riffing on that. I'm always curious about how well like wordplay translates between languages so i'm always oh, curious i'm like yeah. i wish there was a way for me to really know what they're what saying the in their language yeah pun yeah or whatever was. um and uh and this is in french it's not in polish because right. like he sort of uh i think he couldn't really get things going in poland he was getting banned and so he moved to france quite a while ago so yeah. i think most of his movies are in french yeah um so the way the ideas are telegraphed to the audience is an athema to me, such as, again, people literally screaming their philosophical musings at each other. <laughs> but the exploration of how humans find patterns and meaning uh, in the chaos of life is a concept that endlessly intrigues me. So I don't so much recommend <laughs> this film as it motivates me to explore the works of the author. Mm. So it's based on the 1965 book by Witold Gombrowicz. Um, he was a bisexual leftist Polish writer who wrote dense, psychological, sometimes absurdist works about identity, class, humanity, and also banned in Poland for <laughs> most of his career. Yeah. So, again, I feel like a lot of these movies, they're, you know, maybe problematic in certain areas or whatever, but it's making me want to explore the authors. Yeah. So that's kind of, that was the through line, I think, for yeah. most of it. Um, yeah. So these authors I haven't explored yet. So definitely going to be on my my list if you want to, to dive read. deeper. Yeah. All right. It's time to pitch it up. Yep. So we play a game every episode where we each bring two elements for a film unknown to one another. Uh, We reveal the elements and then we pitch a movie on the spot. So I am leading this time. Before I lay out my vision, I believe we have a working title to go on the canisters. Yes. So on the masking tape of the reels, Karaoke Terror. 2003 <laughs> Japanese horror film co-written by the director of one of my earlier picks, Tokyo Decadence. So, I, <laughs> just sorry, it warmed my heart. Karaoke terror. 
Oh, anyway, sorry. Oh, have now I want to pitch to... something based on that. I know. That sounds a... really fun. It does sound fun, and this is like deeply not a fun movie. Okay. Well, anyway. <laughs> we'll see. It'll this be a real. Fool all the, yeah, it all will. the people it's that will see the canister. They won't know the goods that are yeah. inside. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, you could make it gallows humor sort of funny. But, okay. Um, so I think I've maybe mentioned before, but I am a relatively new but pretty devoted fan of Deborah Eisenberg. I pretty much blew through her entire body of work within the past year. She's a writer, primarily short stories. Uh, her partner is Wallace Shawn, so there uh, is a okay. film connection. <laughs> Since we were doing adaptations this time, I do have a specific story of hers mm-hmm. that I'd like to pitch. Uh, her work is just so lean and perceptive and razor sharp, and often it features... Um, an unwitting narrator who does not realize that the thing they think they're telling you and what's actually apparent to the reader are just two different things. Mm-hmm. And I really love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would be a real challenge, but I want to try and adapt uh, one of her stories from Under the 82nd Airborne, her collection, which is published in 92. It's called Holy Week. Um, a little bit of context, it's probably important to know that she and Sean uh, were very engaged in activism, trying to draw attention to the Reagan administration's interventions in Central America in the 70s and 80s. So she has written a number of stories that feature basically these idiots from the U.S. being confronted with the reality of what was going on in countries like Honduras and Nicaragua in the 70s and 80s. That's a little bit of background. Mm -hmm. So Holy Week, the story, is written as travel notes by this food journalist, Mm. this man, who is in this unidentified Central American country, seems like Honduras, uh, on assignment in the late 80s. He's brought his girlfriend, who is, of course, 20 years younger than he is. (laughs) So she's in her 20s and he's Mm -hmm. in his 40s. And he's just this hapless schlub. Mm -hmm. So he's just trying to, like, get through his assignment. And even though the notes are from his perspective, it's really his girlfriend, Sarah, who's the protagonist of the story. Mm -hmm. So it's through, you know, it goes day by day. It's like his little sort of observations. So through these kind of observations, it's kind of his uneasy realization that she's kind of coming to these realizations of her own of like what exactly is going on in this town Mm. where it's supposed to just be like, oh, we're just having you here to talk about food in this beautiful little place. And they have this older couple of Americans who Mm -hmm. have this you kind of realize what their connection to potentially like the government mm-hmm. and the U.S. military apparatus is, is their host just trying to like distract her and make her go shopping. Yeah. And she's yeah, like, yeah. Um, didn't you notice at that restaurant that there's a full on butler with a machine gun <gasps> at the door? You're not yeah. going to mention that in your little reviews. Yeah. So it's just her realization and this impending sense of danger that this, there's this great confrontational dinner party scene with this mm-hmm. estate family. Yeah. I think the perfect actor for... The main character of Sarah, who's just increasingly distant and nonplussed of what's going on, is Alia Shawkat. Um, I Ooh, yeah. can really see her in this role as this woman who's just like sort of like putting together the pieces around her and then just finding it totally untenable and like being like, fuck this. I first of all want to applaud you for saying nonplussed, using it correctly. Sorry, <laughs> folks. Okay, it means bewildered. It doesn't mean aloof. Sorry, I so- Sorry, it's a personal thing. Everybody has their thing. <laughs> hey, you know what, man? Sorry, it's a hill I want to die on is that. Okay. So I think this could be, of the couple, um, this could be the wife, this actor, yeah. um, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes. I haven't seen her in a lot. I mean, she was a mother, but then doesn't count. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I want to see Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. I think she'd be good. And here's my little element, yeah. little extra thing. It's just one word. Wigs. 
I just Ooh. want wigs. wigs. I want wigs. Lots of them. <laughs> All of them. I mean, I want Michelle Pfeiffer in. Like, maybe there's like a little, if there's like intrigue, international there is, intrigue. Yeah, there's like a CIA aspect. Okay. Yeah. Then we need wigs for yeah. disguises. So that's all. Just no, wigs. I like that. Because, you know, yeah. it's like the wife kind of plays this really dumb ditzy where she's like, don't you want to go shopping? Yeah, like, so shopping in but, wigs. But and then when like, it comes yeah. up in conversation, she gets really aggressive about mm-hmm. like, well, they need, like the military needs to like tell these peasants what to do. Yeah. Like all this stuff. And I think Michelle Pfeiffer would be really good at like turning on a dime and getting really scary. And then yeah. you realize that she's yeah. embedded. Like in on it or something. Yeah. yeah. So, and then it, also if she's rich, it's just like, oh, I've got my jewels, yeah. I've got my wigs. And so it could kind of plan both she ways. Could also, yeah, she could also just be this idle rich woman. Yeah, yeah. Like, just like, oh, I'm yes. going to keep changing wigs. Sorry, that's all. That's all I've got is wigs. No, I just I, wanted, I wanted a beautiful woman with changing wigs constantly. That's You know, I think that I would wanted. work for a character even if she's not in on it because this woman is just so affected like she's just so mm-hmm. it's like affect like she's just so like yes there's such a great time and we're having a lovely time yeah. and my husband is just an agronomist and you're like no he's not there's something else very mm-hmm. dangerous going on yeah here. I feel like it works. Um, yeah, I no. think, and just like slowly turning up the tension in the story, mm-hmm. where you can feel this like I don't know who this man character is, yeah, this food journalist, cares? but I don't just, know. You can feel him lose control of both the situation and of his partner, who he's kind of had this upper, not in consciously upper hand on, but like oh, this mm-hmm. pretty young thing, I'll take her on a yeah. trip and she'll yeah. see the world, and she's like, what the hell is yeah. going on here? I know, it's like going who on. are these people? Mm-hmm. Um, I like I watch Alia Shawkat in literally anything. So yeah. yeah. And Michelle Pfeiffer. I'd like to see them. Ooh, I'd like to like see a, them sparring yeah. on screen at the <laughs> dinner table. Tit. Yeah, I like that. All right, well, it's time for Radar, where we talk about what we've been watching, what we want to watch, the things to avoid, maybe. <laughs> just just everything. It's yeah. our diary, you know? It is the film diary, exactly. yeah. So, I have refined my little podcast mini pitch from a few episodes ago, Ooh. where I mentioned the conspiracy surrounding the mysterious murder of Michael Jordan's father. So... Someone should make an entire podcast about true crime in the sports world. Just if for another reason that I've got the perfect title, Foul Play. Oh, shit. Okay, sorry. I just love the title so much. Someone should do it. There's lots of little... I mean, I don't care about fucking... What is it? The... Not hormones. What's it called? The uh, dosing, juicing. I don't care about that. Oh, that, steroids. I, I don't care about Human steroids. Human growth hormone. I don't Human give a growth fuck. hormone. That's you're thinking yeah, HDH, I don't yeah. give a fuck about that. No, that's boring. I don't care. Um, you're talking, I'm talking about, about like, juicy, like murders, and and then yeah, I mean old timey stuff. Shoeless Joe. You've got. I mean, I feel like every old time boxer was a murderer. I don't know. <laughs> Just there's a million things. Yeah. Um, the Olympics. There was like in the 80s. There were those like twin relay race people <gasps> that like one of them made the olympics the other didn't and then the person that made it couldn't like was injured and so their twin like subbed in and no one knew yeah. until they found out anyways right. so just there's lots of little conspiracy murder there's mystery God, yeah. you know there's lots of drama so i just sorry i was so excited about that title that i was just like someone needs to make it be so much organized crime involved especially with like a boxing mm-hmm. and oh my <gasps> god yes. that the thing with the um <laughs> 
the players, the college, there was like the, was it college basketball in the 50s? And it was, they were literally getting paid mm-hmm. to throw games by I the mean, mob. And there prob- were guys that were like banned and stuff. Oh my I mean, God, probably. my brain isn't calling this forth. No, it's a real story that happened. Okay. I just can't remember the details. Okay, yeah. But it's, it's crazy. Yeah, no, that's not so. Yeah. Exactly. It'll yeah. be in the podcast that yeah. we won't make, but someone should. Make, I don't want to do the work. Should. But I know, someone, it makes me feel like I want to make How it. has like, what are those people, like Bill Simmons, is that a person that exists? Yeah. You know, he's not like him, because I think yeah. he's like, not. but you know what I mean? Like Jason Concepcion, who works for The Ringer. Ringer, yeah. yeah, yeah. He which does is Game of Thrones podcast, thing. so listen to it, it's fine. Um, yeah. yeah, he would be really good. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think or it, like yeah. David Roth, who's the editor of Deadspin, who yeah, does yeah, like totally. remember some guys. Yeah. Exactly. I'm just saying this is right. Free, I mean, just, she's she's offering you a great I mean, concept. this property is worth millions. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> also, uh... <laughs> For non-sports fans, like myself, uh, there's uh, on Hulu, The Sicilian, 1987 film uh, by Michael Cimino. He's a director of Deer Hunter, which I don't care about. He did yeah. Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, which I is like the only Clint Eastwood movie that I can sort of get behind. Yeah. Anyway, um, I don't know anything about it because I didn't want to look up anything because I want to go in fresh. Mm. Um, so anyways, The Sicilian. It's just something I'm like, I kind of like Cimino and some of his later stuff. Demon Lover, 2002, Olivia Isaias. It's on movie, techno noir about corporate intrigue and <gasps> the dark web. Oh, oh is this good? I saw it on movie and I was like, is this? I don't know because you didn't like personal shopper, so I yeah. don't know how you feel about Asaius. I loved it because it was like real. I mean, it's 2002, but it's real like 90s, yeah. like Gina Gershon and like so. What about manga that, and stuff? I just couldn't tell. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna watch it. Because, I you know, was into it, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, it's check it out yeah it's on it's on movie right now yeah okay i will um, literally just like posted today and also by the director um Zulowski, which i mentioned earlier he also made a film called the public woman 1984 i think young actress is invited to play a role in a film based on dostoevsky's novel demons the director takes over her life and soon she is unable to draw the line between acting and reality she winds up playing a real life role posing as the dead wife of a man who was manipulated by the director into committing a political assassination um just sounded intriguing and it's like that's so weird because it's it touches this and the last and the i know last i thought about what? it from the last show too i know exactly and so um i i know i couldn't find it obviously less yeah, we say it totally. this week, but um, oh, yeah, I want to watch that. Demons is maybe my favorite of his novels, and that's really saying. Oh, okay, I'll so. have to look that up. But yeah. yeah, how about you? So I'm still working away on my uh, works by Australian women directors. Mm. So still on Jane Campion. I watched her deeply strange little <laughs> indie movie, Sweetie, from um, 1989. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? A while ago. Okay. Yeah. So let me just refresh your memory. <laughs> it's about this kind of bored and depressed factory worker whose entire family life is held hostage by her sister who has some kind of deep psychological issues, mm, the nature of which my are... My favorite. Sorry. Not I'm sorry. Clear. In movies, in movies, in movies. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny and it's really weird and slightly poignant in that way peculiar to Australian films, I think. 
I would recommend it, although it may offend some people who are sensitive about depictions of mental illness because of the way the sister is portrayed. I feel like there's some times where she's stripping nude and yelling in a treehouse and it's a whole thing. A little extra shrill. I don't know. I mean, I liked it, but it's definitely not for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, I liked it in this way Mm -hmm. that I I really like seeing her entire body of work Mm -hmm. and how it fits in that, but Mm -hmm. um, it's a strange one. Yeah. Um, One film that I want everyone to watch or Mm rewatch, and I've already said this to you (laughs) in person, I think, uh, is Argento's 1985 Supernatural Horror Phenomena. Jennifer Connelly, mm. which I feel like she's like a storyboard favorite. I know, favorite. she's a friend of the pod. Yeah, uh, <laughs> serving up Samantha the American Girl doll <laughs> vibes. <laughs> she's got that frilly white blouse. It's just, it's like it's so, so chic. Perfect. I'm sorry. As a plucky girl detective with a special bond with insects, aided by another storyboard fan favorite, Donald Pleasance. Oh my God, as a all kind, the faves. Oh yeah, as a kind is, of is Lawrence entomologist. Fishburne in this? Is Diane Lane in Laura Dern? You, I I'm wish. To... Oh my God, Laura Dern would be amazing as Ooh. one of the other girls at the school. Mm. Well, okay. anyway, Donald Pleasance is that entomolo- is a kindly little entomologist with a very inexplicable chimpanzee assistant. Why <laughs> They're just not? like, it's an 80s movie, throw a chimp in there. Sure. I would really much prefer a, a Diane Lane, I have to say, oh, but yeah. it's just not, that's not happening. Well, we're doing fanfic now. It's a okay, champ. Sorry, yeah, sorry. we're, yeah. <laughs> uh, I do think that Connelly's character is unique in this genre and that she has this really clear supernatural power, this affinity with insects, which usually sets especially a young woman up as this dangerous antagonist, like mm-hmm. think Carrie, but mm-hmm. actually she's the hero of the story and so are the insects. Ooh. As a fan of our six-legged friends, I <laughs> Oh, am, God. I, no, I really am an insect fan. fan? I follow, like, uh, multiple insects. Like, I stand. <laughs> I do. I follow multiple entomologists on Instagram. Uh, I oh really appreciated that this broke the tendency to associate insects with this evil force. I mean, it's really like busting those taboos. It is. They're not only essential partners in our ecosystem lives. Yeah, okay. They can help us solve murders. And okay, they, that's true. That's true. They can also save your ass when this freaky child is trying to kill you with a lance. So, all right, all right. I don't know how well you remember that movie, but no, nope, there's well. a great, there's a great. The insects are really the true heroes. Okay. And I think um, in this era of climate <laughs> catastrophe, we should do well to remember our insect friends. Okay. Uh, one last thing is that I am slowly working my way through the. 2005 Russian TV miniseries adaptation of Master and Margarita. Oh, I was intrigued because the creators were very explicit that they did not cut a single thing. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that could be a disaster, Ooh. but I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, for any adaptation. For any adaptation. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree because it's a relatively short novel, especially as far as Russian ones go, but it's a 500 minute long miniseries. Oh, boy. So that tells you what it takes really to swear like that total fealty to yeah. a text. All right. I don't think that's really generally necessary. I think people that quibble over that are, it's, I mean, it's just too exacting, <laughs> but... What do you cut out? What do you leave in? Yeah. And in the case of this, I think Master and Margarita is so important to post-thaw generations of, you know, well, since it became available mm-hmm. uh, in Russia, generations of Russians, that they were like, no, we will be totally loyal to <laughs> yeah. every scene. It's really well acted. They use practical effects very well, which is a good choice when you think that it, there's like a 
cat that stands on its hind legs. Like you, <laughs> Ooh, on its hinders? Yeah, Sorry, I love just like it's hinders. It's a bipedal. Sorry. It's a bipedal cat. It's just our favorite word, um, I think. Sorry. Wait. Yeah, they do. It, it, and it's still, it retains the humor. Because, I mean, you think like 2005 Russian TV, you mm. don't really want to see like CGI. Like that's not, no. that's not what I want. <laughs> I got to say that, you know, the novel really flies by, but this miniseries does drag a bit, especially the stuff that's like the Pontius Pilate stuff. I'm like, let's wrap it up. Uh, I will finish it, but I can't punish my spouse with eight straight hours of like a Russian TV period <laughs> So we'll just, we'll sprinkle that one in, you yeah. know, little small doses. <laughs> Time release. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining. You can subscribe to keep up with us or drop us a line at storyboardpod at gmail.com, via Instagram at storyboardpodcast, or via Twitter at storyboard underscore pod. All the links of the movies we talk about are in those episode notes. Till next time. And, and then <laughs> after I kept like an hour in, I still didn't see the rat person and i was just like fuck this wow but rat boy I blue s- balls yeah all aboard the rat boy train <laughs> beep, beep, beep.